Lord, I thank you that, uh, well, even, even just looking around the room and seeing faces that I haven't seen in like a year and a half, God, it is, it is uh, man, it's good, Lord. I, I love uh, I love that I get to be a part of, of this body, Lord. I, I, um, I can't believe I get to be uh, a pastor, Lord, that this is how uh, you, you allow me to feed my family, Lord. I, uh, I don't want to take that for granted, God, and I, I need you, Lord. I stand before you and these people, and, and I'm trying to preach your word, and I, I'm just so uh, aware of how great my need is for you. So, Spirit, we ask that you would open your word to us, that you would speak to our hearts, that we, we, would, we would trust you, Lord, um, and in all the areas of our life where we don't trust you, all the things we're holding back from you, God, we make that really, really clear today. And, and as we continue to go through this book, we just show us where, where we're not giving ourselves to you, where we're really trusting ourselves or in whatever else, Lord. God, be so gracious as to uh, convict us of that, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So last week we ended in chapter 12, right, which uh, was this uh, song of salvation. It followed on the heels of chapter 11 where um, you might remember the picture was uh, Israel's just like this, this, this chopped down forest. It just stumps everywhere, stump after stump after stump, just dead, uh, many of them burned. But then in this one stump, the, the stump of Jesse, which reminds us of King David, um, the stump of Jesse is this little tiny shoot that, that God is going to bring that, that will bear fruit, that there would be this king that will come and lead in righteousness, and, and he will have the spirit of wisdom Right, and this king will, will bring peace. We read about that peace in 11, right? It's, it, it, it's so uh, outside of what we know that it almost sounds like a fairy tale. And, and then Isaiah gives this picture of uh, God saving his people in this, this new exodus, right? It reminds us of the exodus from Egypt and, and God saying that he's going to do that for all of his people. He's going to take care of Israel's enemies. God's people will come to him no matter where they've been scattered on the earth, no matter where they've been exiled to. And he describes it, it's, it's like this highway of people from all the nations coming to God. Early in Isaiah, we, we first read about the Assyrians being called by God to bring judgment on Israel for their sin of rejecting him uh, as Lord, for trusting in the nations. But over time, Assyria became prideful and, and arrogant, uh, believing that, that their, their power in the world, their, their, their ability to dominate these nations was because of their might and not because God had given uh, them victory over people for his purposes. God is always in control. It might seem to us like maybe some world power, some world leader is in control, or in our little area of the world, we like to think that we are in control, but God is the one who is sovereign over all. So Assyria, as they get puffed up and big-headed, God sends Babylon to chop them down to size. And now we come to chapter 13, and it's an oracle about Babylon, 13.1. It says, the oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw. And it's good for us to understand or to remember 
that this is a word not written to Babylon, but it's to God's people. So now for generations, uh, this message about Babylon has been heard and read by God's people. And now today we read this message about Babylon for us as his people. Uh, this, uh, this section, uh, it, we're in 13 through 18 today, it fits into a larger unit, which is 13 through 23, even a larger unit, which is 13 through 27, and, and it's the proclamation of God's victory. Right? And we're looking at the nations, that, that there's judgment coming to nations, but there's also hope for the nations, and there's hope for Israel. One commentator wrote that these oracles aren't so much about the doom of the nations, but the salvation of Israel, if Israel will trust in the Lord, and, and, and that the nations can too be a part of God's people if they will turn to him, if they'll trust in him, and that's the call. The call is to trust in the Lord, not in the nations, not in idols made by human hands, not in your own abilities, but to trust in the Lord alone, or as Dan asked, where is your faith? Right? Is your faith in what you can do? Do you put your faith in your career uh, or financial security or, um, or in relationships or in our economy or, or, or what? What do, you, what do you trust in? Where is your faith? Well, judgment is proclaimed against Babylon. They too have become arrogant, and we'll, we'll see this pattern over and over again. They think that their achievements um, are independent from God, and God's going to judge them. And throughout uh, the time in Isaiah, it's been abundantly clear that God is sovereign, that he's uh, over everything, even the world powers, right? No one operates outside of God even on the individual level, no person has anything that God has not given them. Verse 11, he says, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. Um, there's at least two reactions that, that I think we should have as we read about God's judgment uh, over and over again. And the first one, we may not think about much. Um, we probably don't talk about it much, but, but there actually should be a thankfulness, and, and stick with me here. Um, it is good that God is taking care of sin, right? This world is a nasty, sin-filled place, and, and it's good and gracious of God that he will, in his perfect justice, take care of sin. He'll eradicate sin. Our, our world is filled with much evil, right? So much so that, that it should be this huge sigh of relief, that the creator of all things not only has the power to take care of sin, but that he will do it. And we, we all feel this need for God to take care of sin. We long for a better world. We want our world to be cleaned up. And I think that we see that right now uh, in our country, probably in several ways, but one way that, that I was thinking of is, is how many people are, are moving from a place that they've been in for years and years and years, maybe their whole life, and, and they're trying to find a, a better place to live, right? There's tons of people moving to like Texas and, and Idaho and all these different places. Uh, they want a, a better world. And, and if I'm honest, there have been times in the past year and a half where I've thought about it too. <laughs> I'm like, maybe we should just pack up and go to Idaho. I don't know if that's because there's all the lakes and rivers there and I could fish all the time or, or if it's wanting this better world. Um, but but we, we can feel that this world isn't 
isn't as it should be. So, so maybe you're tempted to move to another state or another city where it will be better, but man, sin is still there, right? You're really just trading in old frustrations for new ones. The, the real longing is for God to make this world as it should be, which will come through judgment. God will punish sin in perfect justice. Continuing on there in verse 11, he says, I'll put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. All right, and chapter 13 gets, gets pretty graphic as, as we read about the judgment that is due because of sin. And Babylon was a real nation, but here as we see in this passage um, and, and really throughout Scripture, Babylon represents more than just this former world power. It represents the glory of mankind, the, the pride, the arrogance of humanity. Right? It represents those who reject God, the, the Holy One. And clearly in these verses, the judgment isn't just about Babylon. We read that it impacts the whole earth. It impacts the heavens. The second reaction that we should have to judgment stems from a recognition that if God is going to deal with sin, then he needs to deal with my sin. When we honestly look at ourselves, we realize we're not sinless. We excuse ourselves perhaps because we, we think, well, I haven't done some of the worst evils in this world. But it isn't just about the most atrocious sins that, that deserve to be judged. It's all sin. All sin falls short of the glory of God. All sin has earned the wrath of God, which is a fearful thing. So if that's the case, then we have to ask ourselves, what am I trusting in to defend me from the judgment of the Almighty? And maybe your first thought is, is about, well, what about the good that I've done? Scripture's clear, right, from beginning to the end, that, that our good doesn't take care of our bad. It doesn't take care of our sin. Our good isn't even as good as we think it is. As, as Dan mentioned, Isaiah is a pretty righteous guy. But in 6, he, he comes before God. He sees the, the Holy One, and he cries out, woe is me, I'm ruined. Right? I'm I'm sinful. The only defense against the judgment of the Almighty is the Savior. We need, we need a Savior. Jesus came and took our place on the cross. On the cross, he who knew no sin became sin. He takes your sin and he trades his perfect righteous life for your nasty sin so that all who trust in Christ have his righteousness. And without Christ, we stand condemned, but it's in Christ that we stand blameless. Nothing else, no one else can save us from the judgment that the world has come in. And in, in chapter 13, it paints this picture of the judgment that will come to the world for its, its evil. Chapter 14 begins with a reminder to God's people of his compassion and his commitment to them. Look in verse one with me. For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel and will set them in their own land and sojourners sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob God will not forget 
his people, right? He uses the, this language of choosing them, that he will set them in the land that he has promised them, that, that sojourners, right, some from the nations will join God's people in worshiping God. God is saving people from every nation. And then the following verses uh, paint this picture of Israel now taunting the, the formerly great and mighty Babylon, right? The, the, at one point dominated Israel, but, but God would turn the tables on Babylon to the point where, where the, the leaders of Babylon, they're, they're being looked on by the world and going, really, is that, is that the guy who, who once led the mighty Babylon? He's been humbled. He's unrecognizable. And, and we look back at world history, and it, it is amazing to see these, these world powers, these great leaders who at one time, at one point, looked unstoppable. It looked like their, their rule would be as long as they lived. And yet, after just a short amount of time, they're an afterthought. Well, how can that be? It's because God, the creator of all things, is in control. Verse 24 in chapter 14. The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned so shall it be. As I've purposed, so shall it stand, that I will break the Assyrian in my land and on my mountains trample him underfoot, and his yoke shall depart from them and his burden from their shoulder. This is the purpose that is purposed concerning the whole earth. This is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations, for the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, who will turn it back? God is the almighty one. He's the one who plans and purposes. Nations and peoples rise and fall according to what he has planned. It is his, it is his mighty hand over all of history. Right? Do we believe that, that God has all of this in his hands? Right? This has been a hard year, I think, for just about everyone. But, but for some of you, man, the difficulty started way before the pandemic. Do we trust that God is at work? Do we trust that he is in control? Right? Where in our lives are we not trusting God? Right? Do, do, we, do we believe that he is trustworthy even if we can't tell what in the world he is doing right here, right now? Chapters 15 and 16 are a lament for Moab. Uh, Moab has only appeared once in Isaiah so far, and what we find out here about Moab is what we found out about all the nations so far. They are filled with pride, and, and like the other nations, they're going to be judged for that pride. But there's a call here for Moab to seek shelter among God's people, right? To turn from from their pride, to turn from. Uh, from what they think they can do by, by their might and to humble themselves and join God's people uh, by trusting in him. But sadly, they will not turn to God. In 16.3, it says, Give counsel, grant justice, make your shade like night at the height of noon. Shelter the outcast. Do not reveal the fugitive. Let the outcast of Moab sojourn among you. Be a shelter to them from the destroyer when the oppressor is no more and destruction has ceased and he who tramples underfoot has vanished from the land. Right? Shelter is available from judgment. 
Come join God's people, Moab. Trust in the Lord, nations. Judgment for sin is deserved, but God will make a way for all who turn to him. And then in verse five, it says, then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. In the tent of David helps us to recall the covenant made with King David. He'd promised that there would be a king that would come in the line of David who would reign and that his reign, his kingdom would be forever. It would be unending. It would be eternal. And that this would be established in God's steadfast love. His never-ending love. Yes, sin must be dealt with. So this king will rule in justice and righteousness. All sin will be paid for, but it's the king, Jesus, the Messiah, who will lay down his life for all who trust in him. I hope you know that God loves you. He does not want you to continue in trusting in anything else. He's calling you to trust in him. He's done everything to make a way for you to escape judgment for sin by sending Jesus to die in your place. Will you trust in Jesus the Christ? That's the call. Turn to Jesus. Stop trusting in anything else. Turn to the one who loves you. Moab is an example of a people that refuse to turn from their pride and their arrogance. And 12 gives us this, this little uh, picture, this vignette of, of Moab. It says, and when Moab presents himself, when he wears himself on the high place, okay, so they're going up to the place where they would worship these fake gods. When, when he wears himself on the high place, when he comes to his sanctuary to pray, he will not prevail. And Moab continued to, to live life the way they wanted to. Instead of trusting God, they, they continued to go to their fake gods Right, what, what they wanted, and the result was it, it wearied them. It, it wore them out, right? It, their prayers uh, availed to nothing. It took them nowhere, and so it is with every path that does not turn to God. God has patiently given the world opportunity to trust in him, right? I and mean, you can try on your own to, to navigate life, but, but it'll lead to weariness. And if that's you, if you're weary are you ready today to trust in Jesus? Are you ready to make him Lord of your life? Chapter 17 opens up with this oracle uh, that's to Damascus. Damascus is an interesting city. It was one of the most strategic cities in the ancient world because it was at the mouth of this natural funnel, uh, mountains on one side, plateaus on the other. So it, it was, it was the, uh, the most convenient route by far from Mesopotamia to Egypt. Uh, Damascus, because of that, had great influence, right? Uh, much greater than, than, than their size should have allowed them. And as we've read about so many great cities and so many great world powers, Damascus is destined for ruin. 17.1, an oracle concerning Damascus, behold, Damascus will cease to be a city and will become a heap of ruins. The cities of Aurora are, de are deserted. They'll be for flocks which will lie down and none will make them afraid. So though it was this great city, it would be reduced to nothing. But what's interesting here is we quickly see that while this oracle is labeled uh, to Damascus, it includes Israel. 
Uh, and when we read uh, Jacob or Ephraim, uh, it, it, we got to think Israel, right? That's what it's referring to. So verse 3, the, fortresses, uh, the fortress will disappear from Ephraim. The kingdom of Damascus, the remnant of Syria, will be like the glory of the children of Israel, declares the Lord. In that day, the glory of Jacob will be brought low. The fat of his flesh will grow lean. So what happened was the northern kingdom had joined the nations against the southern kingdom, right? Israel split in the north and south. So they joined the nations against Judah. And now, since they decided to join the nations, they were being counted as one with the nations. They put their trust in the nations, and now they would share the fate of the nations. And then we read this in verse 7. In that day, man will look to his maker his eyes will look to the Holy One of Israel. He will not look to the altars, the work of his hands, and he will not look on what his own fingers have made, either the asherim or the altars of incense. So in that day, this day of the Lord that we keep reading about, which, which is not a 24-hour period, I don't know if I've made that clear, but people, God says, will, will turn to their creator, the God of Israel, Right? They won't look at the things that they've been trusting in, created things. Instead, they'll look to the creator. Uh, Isaiah mentions the, the Asherim or, or Asherah as this fertility goddess. So they thought that if they worshipped this fertility goddess, that, that they could manipulate her to, to bring about, to give the life that they wanted instead of turning to the author of life, to the one who is life. And I know that today, you know, we're way beyond worshiping these idols that, that we make with our hands, but we certainly put our trust into any number of created things, and they become idol-like to us. When will we stop looking elsewhere? And maybe say, like, I, I trust God. Well, I guarantee there's parts of you that you still are holding back, that we're still not trusting God with? Will we look to God? Verse 9, it says, in that day there's strong cities, and just think, like human achievement, right? Like what, what man can build, these, these massive cities. In that day there's strong cities will be like deserted places of the wooded heights and the hilltops, which they deserted because of the children of Israel. There will be desolation. Human achievement will be nothing, what humanity can accomplish seems great to us. Right? It might seem powerful, glorious, but it, it'll be brought to nothing. And this is why, verse 10, for you've forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. They'd forgotten God. They'd forgotten the one who saves. Right? They'd forgotten who was their shelter, their fortress, their refuge. They'd forgotten how he'd provided for them over and over again. They forgot that he was the one who fought their battles, that he had promised to be their God. They had sworn to be his people, and they turned to idols. They turned to, to chariots and, and weapons of war for security to protect them. They turned to, to the nations to be their allies, right, so, so that someone would have their back when God always had their back. How about us? How have we forgotten the God of our salvation and one surefire way to forget God is to not be in the Word, right? To not be regularly in the Bible. We need just this daily intake, this daily diet of God's Word, uh, helping us to remember Him, right? Growing us in knowing who He is. 
Um, and, and we have some ways that we, we try to help you with that here. Uh, Sunday mornings, I don't know if you know this, but we have, a, we have a small group that meets in room five. It's open to anyone. We call it adult Sunday school class, uh, adult Bible class, something like that. Um, it starts at 8.30. And, and what they do is they just dig in even deeper into the previous week's sermon. Uh, we have a men's Bible study on Wednesday nights. Um, we're slowly trying to get a, a women's Bible study going. I, I know many of you, have people in our body that you meet together to, to read scripture, to study the word together. I'm, I'm sure that there are many people that January 1, you started a Bible read through and maybe it's fizzled out. Man, if it has, start it back up again, right? Make sure you're not trying to do that on your own. Uh, pick up where you left off or start over. It doesn't matter, but we need God's word. If we're not in the word, we're gonna miss out on all these ways that God reminds us of who he is, of what he has done, of what he is doing, what he will do. Do we forget God when our world's falling apart? Or do we forget God because things are going great in our world? Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 20. This won't be on the screen. I just want you to listen to this. It says, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you've eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied and then your heart be lifted up, right? Like when everything in life is going so well, better than you actually ever dreamed, he says, then uh, your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do, uh, to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. We forget God. And it looks like we've forgotten God every time we think sin is better. Every time we choose to trust in something else, every time we choose to, to seek satisfaction or ultimate fulfillment in another way, we've forgotten God when we place our trust in ourselves or in something other than God, our rock. When we do remember God, uh, there should be action that accompanies memory, right? When we remember who God is, we should look different than this world. Do you live as someone who knows and is known by God? Right? Do you recall his steadfast love for you? Do you recall his steadfast love in dying for your sin before you even knew about him? In the last year and a half, have you lived like a person who remembers who God is? Or have you lived just like the world? 
Has God been your refuge? Do you pray with this dependence on God, remembering who he is? Or do you worry like you've forgotten who God is? Are you afraid like someone who does not have God in their life? Do you remember God when you get the good things of life? This world, it feels so crazy right now, right? There's just a chaos swirling all around us, and we might be tempted to forget that God is in control and believe that it's up to us to figure out. It's up to us to make our own way. We face the same trap that the Israelites face. We want to be like what we see. We want to be like the nations and, and the church. Christians look more and more like the world in a time where we need to live more and more as those who remember God, who trust and follow and obey God. He is the one that our hope should be in. He's the reason we ought to be a people filled with joy, not, not running after what this world offers us. This passage made me think of Matthew uh, 16, 25, and 26. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? We, we can chase after this world, and it will leave us empty and broken and destroyed, or we can leave all of it and turn to God. Jumping back up to 1710, the second half, this is what, this is what, this is what we do when, when we forget about our God. It says, therefore, you plant pleasant plants and sow the vine branch of a stranger. Though you make them grow on the day that you plant them and make them blossom in the morning uh, that you sow, yet the harvest will flee away in a day of brief and incurable pain. Right? Will you remember God are you going to trust him or are you going to make your own way? Right? What happens here is, is they don't remember. And, and what they do is like, okay, I'm going to provide for myself. I'm going to plant my own plants. I'm going to make these things grow. And, and, and yet they, they just flee away in the harvest. It's like they never even happen. We need the Lord to be a provider. Chapter 18, um, it begins by, by calling these mighty people, right? It's a description of, in verse 2, uh, from a people tall and smooth, a people feared near and far, a nation uh, mighty and conquering, right? These, these are uh, pretty amazing, tough uh, powers coming in that, that God is calling to do his work. But, but like the other nations, right, these two will face judgment, right? They, they will only be able to go so far, and, and then God will, will cut them off. And then verse 7, it says this, at, at that time, tribute will be brought to the Lord of hosts from a people tall and smooth, from a people uh, feared near and far, just like in verse 2, a nation mighty and conquering whose land the rivers divide to Mount Zion, the place of the name of the Lord of hosts. There's hope even for these ones, the, 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 the nations that, that will be judged by God, there's hope for them. God will save those who turn to him, right? These supposedly great people who by the world's standards are the best. Even some of them will come and bow before the king of kings. Will you bow before the king? Right? Is your trust in the Lord? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word, Lord. Um, I thank you 
for how repetitive your word is because my skull is thick, Lord. My ears need to hear over and over again. I, I need to be challenged over and over again. Am I really trusting in God? Or am I still grasping for these other things to get me what I think I need? God, you are so gracious to, to show us that our greatest need can only be met in you, that, that you alone forgive sin. Lord, we thank you that you will take care of sin. And, and we thank you, Jesus, that on the cross, you took care uh, of, of everyone's sin who, who will trust in you, who will humble themselves before you and, and believe that, that you truly are God and that you truly are, are worthy of giving our whole self to you. God, will you help us to trust in you, Jesus? I, I pray for anyone in the room or anyone watching online that, that wants, wants that. <laughs> they want to trust in you. Maybe they've, maybe they've never really done that before, but but in this time, they've just seen how you're, you're working in their heart. God, would you open their, their heart and their mind to the gospel? Will you help them to believe in you, Jesus? It's in your name we pray. Amen.